Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, Saskatchewan farmers have been receiving their annual crop insurance bills in the mail in recent days. And apparently some of them are a little surprised by how high the premiums are. We'll hear from Saskag Today's Chief Agricultural Editor, Kevin Hirsch, on his bill and, of course, uh, what he's heard from some other producers as well. Also, you've likely noticed at the grocery store that beef prices are high but pork prices are low. We'll hear from Sylvain Charlebois with Dalhousie University and he'll explain why that is happening. A research scientist with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan is working on a project to determine if too much serotonin is connected with the respiratory disease in feedlot cattle. That'll be Dr. Emily Snyder talking about AIP. And the Canadian Cattle Association will present its 26th Environmental Stewardship Award, known as TESSA, this week in Calgary. Doug Ray, who is uh, one of the representatives on that board, will tell us about how they focused on sustainable practices. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, it's bright and sunny here in the Yorkton area today. I guess these are the kind of conditions we can expect for the rest of the day and maybe even the rest of the week. Yeah, there will be a, a few little systems in play over the course of the week, but nothing that I think is going to really uh, wipe out an entire day for uh, rain. The best chance for seeing a lost day in that regard would be Wednesday. But I think even by Wednesday, the, the tail end of the day, if nothing else, will start to clear out. But yeah, today, nice day. The uh, dew point is low. It's down in the low teens. The temperature is in the upper 20s. So the humidity running uh, in the 35 to 45 percent range for most of the afternoon hours today. The uh, humid X factor as a result, not too high. It is higher than the temperature, uh, mostly upper 20s to around 30. The wind up a bit too. We'll see gusts up to 35, even close to 40 at times for a short time this afternoon. Then the wind drops back off tonight because there is plenty of room for the temperature to fall with that lower dew point. will drop to around 14. Dew point likely comes down a little more. I don't think we're looking at 100% humidity for tonight. Uh, likely backs down a bit. Partly cloudy sky tonight and down uh, with a wind 10 to 20 from the north to northwest. Tomorrow, partly sunny sky, not quite as warm as today. Wind stays in the northwest versus today's southwest. Slightly cooler air uh, filtering in the high is 25 tomorrow. Watching a, uh, a little system coming in for tomorrow night. It's going to track to our north, trail a cold front across. It'll bring likely a few showers. And then the question is just how much lingers 
on Wednesday because there's the surface storm. The surface storm is stacked into the upper levels of the atmosphere with a fairly deep upper level low. And then as this front goes by, it's going to bring in a general area of instability in the upper atmosphere. It's a cooler air mass. It's a very unstable air mass. I think it's enough to at least keep a few showers around. Likely not a washout on Wednesday, but showers possible just about any time through mid-afternoon or so. It'll be fairly breezy, temperature only around 20 after these few warm days. Uh, Normal high this time of year still around 23, 24 degrees, so we are skosh below normal on Wednesday. And as we clear out, the wind, which is up for the afternoon, again, those gusts up to 40, will settle back down. Just as quickly as that system moves in and brings in the cooler air, there's a ridge of high pressure that is building off to the west, and it's got some impressive warmth under it. Uh, Right now, the heat building to the border and just starting to creep into parts of southwestern Canada, and we'll see that linger there and then make a bit of a nudge eastward. Some of the computer models, which always tend to over-exaggerate these things, really drawing in the heat. I think we are going to warm up, not excessively, but we are going to certainly warm up before the end of the week. Mostly sunny for Thursday and Friday, looking for 28 on Thursday. Could be uh, actually a fairly widespread on Thursday as that warm air is just coming in from uh, mid-20s for areas north to 30 or so south of the Trans-Canada, and most of us get up to around 30 on Friday. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour, the Paw and Dauphin are at 26 degrees, Swan River 28, Brandon 24, Show Lake Russell 23, Roblin 25. Regina, Hudson Bay and Broadview Mooseman all reporting in at 27, Saskatoon is at 30, Indian Head 26, Winyard Wadena Kelvington 28. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-southwest wind at 18, gusting to 32 kilometers per hour. 41% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 27 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of 23 degrees and dropped to a low of 9 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is 25 degrees. The normal low is 11 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 5.09 this morning, and it will set at 8.43 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hot spot was Churchill at 27 degrees. The cold spot was Thompson at plus 5 degrees. The Saskatchewan hot spot yesterday was Leader at 27 degrees. The cold spot was Key Lake at plus 6 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. Saskatchewan farmers have been receiving their annual crop insurance bills in the mail in recent days. SaskAg Today's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch, is one of them. He farms in the Cabri area of southwest Saskatchewan and says he was surprised by how high his premiums are. Well, everybody saw their premiums in the spring, 
and there was quite a discussion over the new methodology for setting the premiums. But now that the, the bill actually comes and you see it applied to the acres and you sort of remember what your bill was from previous years, those that have had some claims in recent times are, are seeing uh, uh, a bit of sticker shock, all right. Uh, it's a, a pretty large bill. But I guess the, the, the larger question, I think, is uh, some transparency and some understanding as to just how the premiums are being set. He says it's not just farmers suffering from drought that have seen a jump in their premiums. Well, those are the producers that will be impacted the most, certainly. But I, I've also heard from producers in areas of the province not associated with you know the, the recent droughts that have also been surprised by their, their premium increase. And you hear lots of producers that compare to their neighbours and say, oh, my neighbor's red lentil premium is half mine, and I think he's had more claims than I've had. But, of course, that's, that's anecdotal evidence. I really believe that uh, crop insurance, rather than the broad strokes of uh, talking about how this is all determined for premiums, they, they need to uh, provide information to each grower on, okay, here's your number of claims, here's the dollars paid out versus the premiums you've paid in, this is how you compare to the others in your risk zone, this is why your premiums are X percent higher or lower than the average for the risk zone. So I think that would be the kind of information that producers need to determine you know, what whether their premium is uh, is fair and how it's being determined. And uh, there's also a question of are risk zones too big? If you start comparing to producers that are that many miles away, might be facing very different conditions in recent years. So I, I think that if there was full transparency onto how the claims are calculated and producers understood it better, they'd also be better able to make good suggestions for improvements. You'll never please everyone. Uh, everybody always wants higher coverage and lower premiums, but the, the program does need to be actuarially sound. But the switch away from where producers had a 40 or 50 percent discount because of their good experience and taking that away and uh, plugging it into a new system uh, has created some angst and then it's also hard to separate if, if for instance crop insurance prices are higher that increases the premium too but the premium rate might not necessarily have gone up so that's factored into the equation as well but I think it just needs a, a, a more transparency and, and a good discussion and perhaps some tweaking before another year rolls around because with especially in the dry areas with consecutive years of drought there is a one-year lag in uh, in claims being applied to your new premium but uh, the news is going to continue to get bad for producers that have been in the in the dry situation hirsch notes the timing of the arrival of this year's crop insurance bills is no different than in previous years. This is the time, about the time the bills always come out. Uh, it's not payable till the end of October, so certainly your producers have some some grace period uh, to pay them. So it's not a surprise that the the bills are coming out, but it's reignited the debate about whether the methodology is correct for how premiums are are calculated for producers. But he admits it's hard for the Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation to predict what grain and oilseed prices will be 
due to the market volatility we've seen over the past few years. Well, that's an interesting thing, too, about crop insurance, is that the prices for this current year were set based on projections back in January. So in many cases, uh, the projections are higher or lower than than the actual price. Uh, But that's another function of the program that uh, creates creates a quirk. So most producers have a, a locked-in price under their crop insurance contract. Uh, so, uh, and then it's, it's production insurance. If their production of a particular crop falls below the, uh, the percentage that they've chosen of their uh, long-term yield, then uh, they're in a, a claim situation. And Hirsch expects the crop insurance agencies in Manitoba and Alberta We'll keep a close eye on how the new methodology works in Saskatchewan. All of the crop insurance corporations from each province, uh, they're, they're all run under the, the similar business risk management program, but uh, and there's somewhat differences between the provinces, but everyone's always looking over the fence to see what the, the neighbour is doing for how the program is administered. So uh, if Saskatchewan... Uh, can get it right, I would suspect that uh, some of those changes may be adopted in Alberta and Manitoba as well. As for his harvest at Cabri, Hirsch says he's well underway, but things aren't going that smoothly for him. We've been living in combine hell. (laughs) Uh, The new-to-us combine's got a twisted-off shaft. It's going to be a huge job to change, so it's uh, being shipped off, and it'll probably stay there and get its uh, service check for the winter, and we're trying to we're about half done. We're trying to finish up with uh, the old standby combine, which uh, right now doesn't have air conditioning. Uh, so we're trying to uh, get that addressed because it's uh, pretty noisy with uh, the windows open and the wind blowing through. He notes his farm operation is quite small. Uh, we're not big farmers to start with. So, you know, we're uh, what do we have? We, uh, we're about half done our chickpeas, and then we've got... Uh, 450 acres of canola to do after that, and it might not even be quite ready, but uh, there's there's been a lot of progress in, in this neck of the woods. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor for SaskAg today. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Priestville Salvage. See them for new and used ag parts. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Beef and Forage Report. The popular ration balancing software Cowbites is once again available to Canadian cattle producers. Cowbites, which is now available through the Beef Cattle Research Council, can help producers who are looking to reduce feed costs without sacrificing nutrition or reproductive performance. Beef Cattle Research Council Extension Coordinator Ellen Crane explains. Cowbites ration balancing software allows producers to formulate their own feed rations while considering various combinations of feed and byproducts at different prices. And in doing so, can find a way to reduce feed costs while still meeting production targets. Ensuring that cattle are being fed a balanced ration can also save producers on their feed costs in the long run by preventing over or under feeding. 
Crane says cow bites can help producers make decisions about purchasing feed or selling animals to balance their feed inventory with their cattle requirements. The program allows producers to select the type and breeds of cattle they want to feed, then select their productivity levels of cattle based on body weight, average daily gain, body condition score, and the stage of gestation or milk production in cows. After selecting your chosen feeds, you can then modify the nutrient content to match your own feed test results. Once the ration is balanced, you can then generate eight different reports, including feed mix and batch scale sheets. Custom feeding and feed inventory reports can also be generated. Cowbites was originally developed by Alberta Agriculture and Forestry in collaboration with Saskatchewan and Manitoba Agriculture Departments, Agriculture Canada, and the University of Saskatchewan. The first version debuted in 1991, and the software was updated over the years, making it a popular and effective tool for Canadian beef producers. However, the software had not been available for purchase since 2020. The BCRC recently acquired responsibility of the Cowbites software and is now accepting orders through beefresearch.ca slash cowbites. And it's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program. That's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. A TX94 Ag Review. Some advocates say expanding the amount of irrigation used in Canada could help farmers weather droughts associated with climate change. Irrigation has been used for more than 100 years in semi-arid parts of Alberta. The province has a network of man-made canals and pipelines that transport water to farmers' fields in its driest regions. Now the province and federal government are spending $932 million to modernize and expand some of that irrigation infrastructure. Agriculture Canada predicts the changing climate will mean increased reliance on irrigation in years to come, even in parts of the country that haven't traditionally needed it. But skeptics point out that the heavy use of irrigation can reduce the amount of water available for other purposes and can lead to soil problems such as increased salinity. CN and CPKC Rail each got off to a good start in the new grain year. They supplied a combined 96% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 1, a modest decline from the previous week's 98% order fulfillment performance. The decline in performance reflects improved performance for CN and a slight decline in performance for CPKC. In supplying 99% of hopper cars ordered on time in Week 1, CN improved from the 98% order fulfillment performance seen in Week 52 and continued its run of consecutive weeks above the 90% performance threshold, having now achieved that mark for five consecutive weeks. CPKC order fulfillment performance declined slightly, with the railway supplying 95% of cars ordered as compared to 99% order fulfillment performance in week 52. Despite the minor step back, CPKC also continues its impressive run of now 17 straight weeks with order fulfillment performance above the 90% threshold. The USDA has reported private export sales of 416,000 metric tons of soybeans to unknown destinations for delivery during the 2023-24 marketing year. 
The marketing year for soybeans begins September 1st. The USDA issues both daily and weekly export sales to the public. U.S. exporters are required to report to USDA any export sales activity of 100,000 metric tons or more of one commodity made in one day. Sales totaling 200,000 tons or more in any reporting period, except soybean oil, made in one day to one destination, must be reported by 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the next business day. Export sales of less than these quantities must be reported to the USDA on a weekly basis. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is required by law to publicly release summary sales data obtained from U.S. exporters of many agricultural commodities. Saputo has pushed back the target date to reach its earnings forecast amid flagging consumer demand for milk products across the globe. In first quarter financial results released after markets closed Thursday, the dairy giant said it no longer expects to achieve its annual goal of $2.13 billion in earnings before interest, taxation, depreciation and amortization by March of 2025. Saputo's revenues fell 2.8% year-over-year to $4.2 billion in the quarter ended June 30th. Net income totaled $141 million, up from $139 million a year earlier. Adjusted diluted earnings per share were $0.36, cents, beating analyst expectations of $0.34 cents per share, according to financial markets data firm Refinitiv. G3 is presenting this year's Bee Grain Safe Week in partnership with the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association, or CASA. G3 has supported CASA's Bee Grain Safe program since 2016. Today, G3 is a safety champion and top sponsor of the initiative that raises awareness among farm families and workers of the risks of grain entrapment and trains rural first responders in how to rescue a person trapped in grain. G3 has funded training for hundreds of professional and volunteer firefighters and purchased specialized grain rescue equipment for dozens of rural fire departments in the prairies, Ontario and Quebec. Be Grain Safe Week, set to run this year from August 14th to August 20th, boosts the visibility of the program even further and G3 is this year's presenting sponsor. The Bee Grain Safe program is an initiative of the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will continue in 90 seconds time. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for August closed at 179.75 today. That's down 62. October live cattle closed at 180.67, down 65. August feeder cattle closed at 246.22, down 152. September feeder cattle closed at 250.12, down 132. August lean hogs closed at 102.25, that's up 15. October lean hogs closed at 79.15, down to 17. And that's the livestock market conditions. 
It's sunny and 27 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. You've likely noticed it at the grocery store and on social media. Beef prices are high, but pork prices are low. Using two products from a Stats Canada chart as examples, the average price for beef top sirloin across Canada was $21.43 per kilogram in June, compared to $18.44 per kilogram in January. But the average price of pork loin in the country in June was $8.72, cheaper than what it was in January, when it was at $9.65 per kilogram. So why the contrast? Sylvain Charlebois with Dalhousie University says it comes down to too much supply. Over the last several months, uh, we've seen pork products uh, sold at a discount in many different places in the country. In fact, uh, if you look at the price of bacon, uh, which is one product that I follow very closely, bacon is actually slightly cheaper than before COVID if you can imagine. Uh, now, it was already expensive, but uh, prices have actually dropped. I think the only exception are pork ribs, but other than that, uh, prices have actually dropped. Uh, and so pork remains a very affordable protein at the meat counter. Uh, unlike beef, where we have seen uh, increases uh, of up to 10% this year so far, Beef is obviously a premium product, but it's even more expensive now uh, due to droughts uh, in the U.S. and Canada. Futures uh, were up uh, earlier this year, uh, and that typically would uh, tell you that uh, retail prices would be impacted. Uh, Something similar actually happened in 2014 when uh, ranchers actually decided to go to... um, the slaughterhouse earlier because feed costs were going up. Uh, So a similar situation actually happened this year. As for demand right now? Uh, Demand, I mean, demand for these products obviously are quite robust. Uh, We're in the summertime. People are enjoying uh, their favorite uh, piece of meat, obviously, whether it's on a barbecue or uh, while visiting a restaurant. And so uh, demand for these products are, are remain high, especially for uh, white proteins, uh, pork and, and chicken. Uh, those are two components of the meat trifecta. Beef, of course, uh, consumption per capita has dropped significantly the last few years. Uh, we are expecting that to continue just because of, of the fact that, the, uh, that beef remains expensive. Charlebois says prices vary as well. In terms of prices, uh, I'm, uh, I don't really have a list in front of me, but I would say that typically for beef, you would have to, you would expect to pay probably double the price uh, compared to chicken or, or pork, uh, at the very least, uh, on volume. And so, uh, but if you are looking for stable uh, prices, good deals at the meat counter, I would say that pork and chicken are your your best bet right now. And as for beef prices in the future? Well, beef prices will uh, obviously uh, continue to go up. Uh, I don't think competitiveness is actually uh, a, a factor for beef, to be honest. People enjoy beef, and, and if they are looking at buying beef, they won't necessarily look at price uh, all that much. They may actually look at price once in a while, but most beef lovers, most people who want to eat beef, won't necessarily look at the price. That's Sylvain Charlebois, a food processor with Dalhousie University 
in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return in 30 seconds. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board today. November canola closed at 770.80, that's up $8.90. January canola closed at 776.40, up $8.70. September Minneapolis wheat closed at 805 and a half, down 9 and a half cents. September Kansas City wheat closed at 750 and a half, down 5 and a quarter cents. September Chicago wheat closed at 616 per bushel, down 10 and three quarters of a cent. September corn closed at 475 and three quarters, up one and a quarter cents. September soybeans closed at 1353 per bushel, that's up 15 and three quarters of a cent. September oats closed at 427 per bushel, up Eight cents. And that's the commodities update. A research scientist with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan is working on a project to determine if too much serotonin is connected with a respiratory disease in feedlot cattle. Most people are familiar with serotonin and its use as a sleep aid in humans but little is known about the cause and treatments are not are limited and not effective. Serotonin is a chemical that carries messages between nerve cells in the brain and throughout the body. It plays a key role in not only sleep and mood, but in body functions such as digestion, bone health, blood clotting, and wound healing. Too much serotonin is believed to be a contributor to acute respiratory distress syndrome. Dr. Emily Snyder is now trying to see if there are any similarities between this and atypical interstitial pneumonia, or AIP, in feedlot cattle. AIP causes inflammation in the lining of the lungs, but little is known about the cause and treatments are limited and not effective. Dr. Snyder's research is going on at the Livestock and Forage Center of Excellence near Clavette, southeast of Saskatoon. Serotonin in humans and cattle and really any other animals has a lot of different effects in different parts of the body. We all kind of know about, you know, its effects within the brain, but we also know that it causes effects in blood vessels, in the GI tract and the lung, for example. And so my thought is that looking at serotonin levels in cattle and seeing what the effects of serotonin within the, the bovine lung play in in a specific disease called atypical interstitial pneumonia. She explains why she thinks it might affect cattle. In humans, we have something called acute respiratory distress syndrome, and there's a lot of different types of lung inflammatory diseases that fall under that umbrella in human medicine, one of which is AIP. We know that the lesions that we see in human AIP are very, very similar to the lesions that we see in the lungs of cattle with AIP. And so looking at some of the human causes and seeing if those also translate into the bovine side of things is what I'm interested in. Dr. Snyder says they can determine a cow's normal serotonin level through a blood test. Yes, um, it is through uh, blood. 
we are trying to establish a normal reference range for feedlot cattle in the late feeding period um, in my study. So we have a general idea of what serotonin levels look like in dairy cows, but we don't know very much about what they look like in beef feedlot animals. And so my goal working at the LFCE this past summer is to establish a normal serotonin reference range in the blood of uh, feedlot cattle in the last 100 days on feed. She then tells us about her research. Well, we have collected blood several times throughout the summer. Our goal is a total of six different uh, times, three weeks apart, over the course of the summer and the last 100 days that these cattle are on feed. We have uh, about 40 steers and 40 heifers that are enrolled. We thought that it was really important that we compare serotonin levels in both genders, just so we know if there is, in fact, a difference there. Dr. Snyder tells us how common AIP is. It's a disease that can be very, very common at times. A number of producers that I've spoken with recently have been having some big problems with it over the course of the past month or so. We do tend to see it more in the summer months, and we do tend to see it affecting heifers more. Some years, they might not see any, and other years, they might have quite a lot. The big concern with this particular disease is it's difficult to treat, and the other big concern with it is that it usually strikes cattle in the late feeding period, which means that we've already put in all of the feed, time, um, and economic inputs that those animals are going to see um, over the course of the feeding period, and so we have basically a huge economic loss when it does strike the cattle um, at this phase of the feeding period. But she says it shouldn't spread easily. It is not contagious. It usually just strikes one animal individually. There might be multiple animals affected by the disease in a pen at a given time point, but it is not contagious. Dr. Snyder says her research will be continuing. We have a project ongoing this summer establishing normal reference ranges. The goal for next summer is to actually work with some feedlots and collect blood from animals that are afflicted with AIP and compare that to a healthy matched pen mate so that we can determine if in fact serotonin levels are elevated in those animals that are suffering from AIP. If we find that to be the case, then we have plans in the future to kind of see what kinds of interventions we can utilize for those animals and uh, maybe preventative strategies as well. And she says AIP is generally only seen on feedlots. Well, there is a disease similar to AIP that we do occasionally see in the cow-calf operations, but usually that's a different etiology. It has a different cause, oftentimes called fog fever, and it does have similar presentation to the AIP that we see in feedlot cattle. So in some ways it is very similar, but it's not quite the same. And so we know the cause of that one is from certain types of plants um, and certain growth stages of plants that cause it in cattle that are um, in the cow-calf side of things, but um, that has not proven to be the case for feedlot cattle. Dr. Emily Snyder is an assistant professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Dr. Snyder is looking at serotonin's role in connection with a respiratory disease in feedlot cattle known as atypical interstitial pneumonia, or AIP. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. The annual Kelvington Agricultural Society Fair, held every August long weekend, 
was extra special this year. It was the Ag Society's centennial year, and president of the organization, Greg Mottram, says he's not the only one who's thrilled about the accomplishment. Well, pretty good for me, but a lot better for the people that started it, and uh, are still around to watch it get this old, and are still active working in it. He says the work involved with putting the fair together every year is done by volunteers, adding the Ag Society wouldn't be here without them. Oh yes, it's, uh, it starts for a good 10 days, 2 weeks before, and uh, to get everything ready and organized, well, it's, you got to book stuff long before that, but just to get everything prepared, yeah. And then through fair, and then for, you know, a couple, four or five days after fair, before everything's put away properly and done. Mottram says this year's fair was a success. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Big crowds, big crowds. Everything was great. Great from ball to food to horses to tractors to fireworks. Everything was fantastic. He was asked if there's any big plans for next year's event. No, same kind of thing. We'll run music, bands, horses, ball, tractors, all that stuff will run. Everything the same. Greg Mottram is the president of the Kelvington Agricultural Society, which celebrated its 100th anniversary during the August long weekend. Meanwhile, the nomination period for director positions with both the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission and the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission is now open. Sask Barley will have three director positions open. Sask Wheat is looking to fill four open director positions. The deadline to receive completed nomination forms for both organizations is coming up quickly at September 6th at 12 noon. Should the organizations receive more nominations than there are director positions available, Elections will be declared and held during the period of October 19th through to November 29th. Nomination forms and election information can be found on the websites of each commission, saskbarley.com and saskwheat.ca. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Sunny, winds west-southwest at 15 to 25 and may gust higher, a high of 29 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds north-northwest at 10 to 20, a low of 14. For tomorrow, partly sunny during the day with a 50% chance of late-night showers. Winds northwest at 10 to 20, a high of 25, an overnight low of 15. For Wednesday, a 50% chance of scattered showers, otherwise clearing off a bit by late day. Winds west-northwest at 25 to 40, and a high of 20. For Thursday, mainly sunny, a high of 28 and Friday mainly sunny, a high of 30. In the Paw and Dauphin it's 26 degrees, Swan River is at 28, Brandon 24, Show Lake Russell 23, Roblin 25. Regina, Hudson Bay and Broadview Mooseman all reporting in at 27, Saskatoon is at 30, Indian Head 26, Winyard Wadena Kelvington 
28. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-southwest wind at 18, gusting to 32 kilometers an hour. 41% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 27 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX94.